Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Call came in with impeccable timing right as I was driving here to ground your ass once and for all. <laughs> it it galls me to say it, but for some reason only known to the Almighty and your guardian angel, you've been called back to Top Gun. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Top Gun Maverick. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from Fighter Town, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Talk to me, Goose. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Can I buzz the tower now? Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is still full. Mm. Tonight we are talking about Top Gun Maverick. Uh, if you listened to us last week when we reviewed Top Gun, you found out that this whole shenanigan started with Top Gun Maverick. So here we are, the highest grossing movie of the year. Didn't we just review this movie last week? I feel like we were reviewing the same movie over again. And in ways we are. However, in some ways we aren't. So I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, how you guys doing tonight? Doing good. I'm great. Yeah. All right. Top Gun Maverick was released on May 27th, 2022. It was directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Screenplay by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. Based on characters by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. And it stars Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Conley, John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Lewis Pullman, Ed Harris, Val Kilmer, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do so far, Don? Wow. Uh, this movie was made for $170 million, and so far it has grossed $1 billion. That's a crazy amount when we find out about Tom Cruise and what he's likely to probably end up netting at the end of this. Do, do, do either one of you know how much he was paid? I have no idea. Mm -mm. He was, uh, he, he gets uh, upfront uh, $12.5 million. And then after that, then he gets over 10% of the first dollar gross, which is based on the money Maverick generates uh, through uh, Paramount. And then after the theaters get their cut, which is typically around 50%, so Tom Cruise, in theory, he could be looking at $200 million. It's not a bad chunk of change. Holy shit. That is crazy money. Wait, back up. Did you say $200 million? He could be looking at that, yes. That is fucking insane. Yeah, so uh, Risky Business back in, uh, what was that, 1983? I think so, yes. That was uh, $75,000. Legend in 85, that was $500,000. Uh, Cocktail in 88 was three. Days of Thunder in 1990, that was $9 million. And then a, four, a Few Good Men in 92, $12 million. And then Interview with a Vampire in 94, $15 million. But then Tom Cruise 
gets involved, and he is involved with Mission Impossible. So Mission Impossible 1, that was in 96, he got $70 million. And then Mission Impossible 2, he got $100 million. And then Mission Impossible 3 and 06, he got $75 million. You know, by, by this experience of Mission Impossible, he has figured out how he can get money if he does well. He got $100 million for Mission Impossible 2? Yeah. God, that's in fucking insane. It must have done really well outside of the U.S. Well, it was because he had production rights, and then he also was involved with the uh, distribution of the DVD and, and rental sales as well. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, to make that kind of money, he has to be in on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. But that movie still has to sell in order for him to get paid, so... I just didn't realize that that many people really liked Mission Impossible 2 or whatever. Anyway, I I just thought that it is stupefying to think about that Cruz could be getting a couple hundred million dollars off this movie. Is what it is. Do you think it's going to lead into a third one? Oh, I don't know. Tom Cruise is very uh, anti-sequel. He, he doesn't like the ideas of sequels at all for himself. And I was surprised that he ended up going for this. As little as 10 years ago, he was talking about, no, no, there, there's no sequel for Top Gun. And uh, it, was, it was other people that were uh, championing for it. Uh, Bruckheimer, uh, uh, Joel Schumacher, and, uh, and um, who, was, uh, who directed? Tony, uh, Tony Forsinski? Or? No. Oh, Tony Scott? Tony Scott, right? So he was on board with it as well, but then uh, he, uh, well, he commits suicide in 12, and so things kind of sort of lamented. But eventually, Cruz kind of sort of got on board with it, and then it, it, it went through several iterations, lots of different writers, and eventually, you know, this is probably, you know, 10 years in the making to get this movie done. So should he get paid that kind of money? I, I, I guess. Hey, man, he, uh, somebody agreed to pay him that. He was smart enough to have a contract to get it done. And if someone, uh, I mean, that's the business, right? And does he deserve it? Just a quick quick answer. No, I don't think anybody deserves $200 million, but that's just me. I, I heard that he's, I've heard time and time again, he, he just has a crazy work ethic when it comes to on his uh, productions because he is forever wanting to make the best movie possible for for movies and uh there was an amusing little story uh oh i won't get into it but the bottom line is nobody seems to uh be as pumped up or amped up about making you know the movie than tom cruise on the sets he he's like a, a you know He's 10 cups of coffee. He's always super, super into everything about the movie. Yeah, he's 100% for sure. And he puts all the actors through special training to make sure that they'll give the most realistic effect in the movie. Yeah, he expects the best. And I got to say, I enjoy his movies. So whatever. Yeah, he he works hard for them. That's for sure. Yeah. One of the uh, screenplay writers, Christopher McQuarrie, he is a Tom Cruise kind of sort of guy. So he, he was, he's credited in the screenplay, but he also uh, wrote Valkyrie, Jack Reacher, The Mummy, Rogue Nation, and he's doing uh, Mission Impossible's Dead Reckoning 1 and 2 as well. And so this, you know, this is somebody that, you know, Tom Cruise works a lot with. Interestingly enough, he also wrote The Usual Suspects. 
All right, so Top Gun Maverick is just another addition to uh, what they are calling legacy sequels. I was just going to ask you about that. And uh, well, thank you, sir. And when I guess you think of legacy sequel, I don't know if you necessarily think of it as a remake or a reboot or we've heard requill. Every one of these terms kind of has a different meaning, which justifies said term. And I think that the legacy sequel uh, title uh, fits for the kind of movies we're getting nowadays. And, you know, the first thing that pops into my head is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Right. And when we talk about legacy sequels, I guess they all have kind of a formula that I can see or that I get out of it. And it's not necessarily a shot for shot remake of the original, but there are a lot of similar callbacks. When you go and you watch legacy sequels, um, sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it all kinds of wrong. Uh, in this particular instance, I think Maverick. I think they got it right. I'll just go ahead and say this now so we can start start the discussion. I like this better than the original. Me, so Me too. Yeah. I get the impression with these legacy sequels or these requels like you're talking about, you know, you're absolutely right. And it seems like, you know, the Star Wars Force Awakens kind of started this whole big thing and then came, you know, Scream and all these other movies that are coming out. It almost feels like they're just trying to pass the baton from our old characters to our new characters who then are going to take over. So that's why I'm wondering if maybe this is a lead in that maybe they'll make more future Top Gun movies. But now that they finished Maverick's story, they'll continue on with like a rooster story or something. You, you bring up a, a, a very interesting question because if um, if history has shown us anything, uh, I think you're right. Because with Star Wars, we had our original three, and each one of them died in the next movie, thus carrying on the tradition. Normally, I would say yes, but I have a feeling, and this is just me, but I don't think Tom Cruise would let that happen. That's what I'm wondering. Can the movie continue on without him? Oh, I think so. I really like these characters. Mm -hmm. I liked them so much better than the characters from the first one, and we'll get into that. But no, yeah. Uh, when I think of the legacy sequels, um, you have Star Wars, you have Alien Covenant, which has, you know, a little bit of Alien in it. And I think Alien Covenant did it well because it was subtle, right? And sometimes they just throw it right in your face. Uh, Jurassic World, I think, is one of those ones where they were really trying to be Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I enjoyed Jurassic World, don't get me wrong, but... I would still watch, you know, Jurassic Park, the original, over over Jurassic World. But you also liked the recent Scream movie that came out. Thank you very much for bringing that up, sir. Yes, if I had to pick, and I love the first Scream. I could do a whole three hours on Scream. But uh, I watched the Legacy sequel that came out uh, this year, and I was fucking blown away. And they're making a sixth one. And but I heard Campbell's not going to be in it. Right, but we can talk about that later but um yeah so this is kind of a instance where they're passing the baton on and scream and maverick i think have done it uh the best so far uh is there any movie that you would like to see from maybe you know our childhood or early on that you would like to see that's the next legacy sequel no and i'll tell you why because if we are out of original ideas to tell stories then we as a human race are in fucking trouble. A lot of these legacy sequels, I mean, it's all for the cash grab. And what they're doing is they're grabbing at your nostalgia. And yeah, 
when it works, it works and it's fucking fun. But I would hate to see something that I absolutely love and adore just fucking uh, shit on Nightmare on Elm Street remake. You know what I mean? So, well, that's the big, I think the big difference though, you know, there's reboots versus uh, right. No, legacy I, I, sequels. no, I, I, and I'd rather see a legacy sequel than a reboot. Oh, my- I would too. I would too. I, I'm with you on that. But you asked me if there was a movie from our childhood that I would want to see legacy sequeled. And no, not, not at the, the moment. My big question, and I'm wondering, and it's now, you know, with you bringing up this point of legacy sequels, you know, and kind of being the big thing with Hollywood right now, we got an Indiana Jones movie coming out soon. I wonder if they're going to do that to, to Indy. I guess time will tell on that one. I wonder if they tried. You'll know if it's the same story as Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I don't know if you can say that with an Indiana Jones movie because they're all pretty much the same story. Yeah, there was kind of leanings in the last one, like they were going to, you know, pass it on to Mutt Lang. Yeah, but that 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 movie shit to bed so hard there was no way Spielberg yeah. and Lucas were going to let that fly. Yeah, because Shia LaBeouf isn't even back, so yeah, which I'm actually happy about. Yeah, whatever. I, I mean, I didn't hate Crystal Skull, but we digress. Over three decades after his time at Top Gun. Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell is serving as a U.S. Navy test pilot. One day, Rear Admiral Chester Hammer Kane approaches to shut down the hypersonic Dark Star scramjet program and redirect the funds to drone programs. Maverick flies the prototype to its speed objective, then pushes further into high hypersonic speed, destroying it. Kane wants to ground Maverick for his recklessness, but instead sends him to Nas North Island as an instructor under the orders of his friend and former Top Gun rival, Admiral Tom Iceman Kazansky, now the commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. Maverick is ordered to train an elite group of previous Top Gun graduates assembled by Vice Admiral Bo Cyclone Simmons and Rear Admiral Solomon Warlock Bates, for an urgent mission, which is to bomb a foreign country's unsanctioned uranium enrichment plant. The plant sits in a deep depression at the end of a canyon and is defended by surface-to-air missiles and 5th generation's Su-57 fighters operating from a nearby base. Maverick plans an attack with two pairs of Super Hornets which will fly through a canyon and destroy the plant and reluctantly accepts the order. The aviators initially rebuff Maverick, particularly Lieutenant Jake Hangman Searson and Lieutenant Bradley Rooster Bradshaw, the son of Maverick's late best friend and Rio, Nick Goose Bradshaw. All right, so this uh, movie opens very similarly to a movie we just watched. What was that movie? Um, Legend? Pulp Fiction? Uh, hang on, it's on the tip of... Basketball? Hang on, it's on the top of my tongue. Was it Top Gun? <laughs> I just wanted to see if he would do that voice. The great thing about this opening uh, is it... You know, I was just watching an interview with our director of this movie, and he said that it was purposely a love letter to Tony Scott, that he wanted to, as much as he could, film it in the same angles, the same style, the same smoke on top of the air, you know, the aircraft carrier with the silhouettes and the sunset and all that. He, he wanted it to be a love letter to Tony Scott. Yeah. Well, it certainly was because it opens with the Top Gun Anthem and then it goes right into danger zone. I mean, it was beautifully shot and, uh, everything's updated 
and the you know the the fighters are updated and uh, the cameras are updated and everything in the air just like the original was fucking awesome it was breathtaking and uh, i think that this film does a better job in the air but only because it's 2022 and not fucking 1986 right well they also had a lot more coverage on the planes in the original top gun there were three cameras on the planes in this version you have seven seven cameras in the cockpit and multiple cameras along the outside of the jets as well so there was a lot more camera shots given to us oh my gosh and it was so much fun it was so much fun totally yeah uh and so after this bit we get to see what maverick's been up to and he is probably in the same pair of jeans and white t-shirt that he was wearing at the end of the first one uh but this time he's working on a plane and i gotta ask is he living in that hangar that's what it looked like to me it does kind of look like but do you know what the story is behind that plane in the hangar uh, no, I do not. That is Tom Cruise's actual plane that he owns and flies. Oh, is it really? Yeah, that's why in the end of the movie, we get to see him actually in the pilot seat. He's actually flying that plane. Yeah. Well, wait. He was in the fucking pilot seat throughout the whole fucking movie. Are you telling me that he wasn't fucking flying that plane? Movie magic. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me that it's his fucking plane because, well, it's Tom Cruise, right? Mm-hmm. So he, uh, it's time to go to work after he's done fixing his plane. And it's test day because well, that's what the calendar tells us. Well, I love the fact that he goes to his locker. He grabs out the same jacket, the same aviator glasses. And this is where he gets on the same motorcycle or same model of motorcycle. It gives us that immediate impression. He is still kind of the immature juvenile character that he was from the first movie. It doesn't seem like he's done any growing past to what, you know, he's, he hasn't become anything new. He's still stuck in that position. Well, we don't quite know that yet. I as, think it's, as, it's a good kind of hint to he's still the same peep, but no, I, th- I, I think they bring all that back for nostalgia's sake. And because it's in the first one. And when you see it on screen, you go, Oh, see that I, that's how I took it because it, it doesn't necessarily convey that he is immature or, or anything like that other than just the fact that he looks the same. I mean, he's a test pilot for a plane that is trying to hit Mach nine. That's, you know, that stands for something. Yeah. And I think that, you know, regardless of his rank, we don't know what that is, but he is certainly, um, you know, I think put out there for nostalgia's sake. And he still doesn't believe in wearing helmets. Well, nobody does in California. Um, yeah, I find that just crazy watching him go so fast on the motorcycle thinking, man, where's your helmet? Well, if he wore a helmet... We couldn't see his pretty face. Now, could we? I also dug how he just rolls right through the checkpoint at the gate. He doesn't even slow down. He just blows right by. Oh, yeah. Well, they. I was thinking about that. They all know who he is, exactly. right? He's, he's Maverick. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what we're supposed to get, I think, out of this is a quick nostalgic feel. And, you know, it's not a Top Gun movie unless, you know, Tom Cruise is on a fucking motorcycle going down a long stretch of highway. Um. And so he gets to the hangar, and then we meet a new character that we haven't met before, and we can assume that he's been with Mavic for a while, and, you know, it's his buddy, and this is Hondo, you know, one of these new characters that I really enjoyed. He's in the movie for 30 fucking seconds almost, and I fucking loved Hondo. I thought he was a great, um, I guess, friend to Maverick. 
mm-hmm. know, because we have no idea what Maverick's been up to these years. Mm-hmm. I thought so, originally when they were saying his name, they were saying Heimdale, and I was like, that is an awesome name. He's like the gatekeeper. He's the guy that, you know, transports him. And I was like, Hondo, oh, okay, I guess that works. Uh, what did you guys think of Hondo as a character? I liked him. I did too. I, I thought that he was uh, he was kind of sort of his wingman, if you will. In my opinion, almost all of the casting was perfect in this movie. There was only maybe one or two characters that I really didn't care for. Sure. And so when Maverick gets to the hangar to do their uh, Mach 9 test, uh, he finds out that the Admiral Kane is going to come in and shut the program down. And so in true Maverick fashion, he says, well, he's not here yet. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think of this whole training montage of him to get ready to get into the ship? I thought it worked. I thought it was fine. And I, 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 I enjoyed watching him get suited up. Sure. And uh, the whole bit about, you know, the, uh, the general closing in and he's getting up into the plane. Yeah. I, I dug that. I heard uh, when Maverick takes off and Ed Harris is standing there and the thing goes right by him. I heard that Ed Harris really took that jet. That was really him. Yeah. That's, that's pretty fucking impressive. He barely fucking moved. Yeah. And that plane was flying. That jet was pretty fucking cool. I also heard that the stand, uh, the guard shack, the guard shack that jumped like it came the, the wasn't roof. supposed to happen. That thing was supposed to be nailed down. And Ed Harris stands like a fucking oak. Ed Harris is the man, right? Um, and I liked his character because he was clearly, you know, <laughs> mirrored after stinger and um so maverick gets her in the air and i love uh when uh admiral kane gets into the control center and now hondo has to play defense <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a great bit another little thing that i love and again this is you know my favorite kind of foreshadowing is when hondo tells maverick on the ground okay just hit 10 and don't go farther don't go beyond that and Pete Mitchell was like, okay, yeah, sure. I don't know if it's so much foreshadowing. I guess it could be. You knew he was going to go yeah, beyond. Yeah, you have to expect it. I mean, as soon as he says the line, you know he's going to. Because mm-hmm. it's Maverick, and we know Maverick. That's what he always does. Yeah. He, he, he goes just a little bit further. Yeah. Do you feel like maybe he's got a little bit of a death wish? No, not at all. You don't think anything maybe is haunting him, like from Goose's death or anything that you know, he'll just keep going until eventually he's going to get killed. I don't because do you know why he pushes forward? Because he's worried about the people that are working on the project. But he only had to hit 10 to save the project. Right, but he's fucking there. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Maverick. So he gets to Mach 9, gets to Mach 10, pushes it just a little little bit more. I love that look that he gives right when he hits 10 and he's supposed to back it down. Then he just kind of stops and pauses and looks at that 10 for a second before he starts pushing it farther. Well, yeah, and I think we cut back to Hondo and Hondo's like, don't fucking do it. Yeah, that's right. Don't fucking do it, you know? And so, um, yeah, he manages to save the program for now. Uh, But all the while he fucking (laughs) destroys the plane. And so he has to parachute out. Um, well, we didn't know that. It's just radio silence after the plane breaks up. Yeah, but I mean, if you're killing Maverick in the first of course. 15 seconds, right? Um, I, and I thought the bit was cute. As soon as we cut to the diner, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Absolutely. Ah. It, it had to be. Yeah. You know what I thought of was Kill Bill Volume 2. 
when Uma gets out of the grave and walks. <sighs> She's walking that's what dustily was, across the road. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly. I was thinking there was something that reminded me of, and that that's the scene. Yeah. Did you like the kid's response to him? That was what, cute. Where am I? Yeah. That's where's... exactly what I was expecting. He's gonna he he's gonna want to know where am I? You know, you know. He drinks the water. Thank you. Where am I? I knew that had to be said. Yeah. So the aftermath of that, he is called into Admiral Kane's office. And, you know, this is where we get him being, you know, yelled at. Again. Being accused of being reckless. Again. This is also where he gets to be told to go to Top Gun. Again. Again. We also, this is where we find out who has been saving him from every one of his fuck-ups since Top Gun. Yeah. And, and I think this is a good story bit. Uh, I like this. I like this bit. I like that they made uh, Maverick and Iceman so close. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's a good thread. Yes, absolutely. One thing I was looking up, and I was actually watching a video before we were doing this podcast from a JAG officer who was going through the first movie, especially, and looking at all the different laws and violations that you know Pete Mitchell has made and why he feels like this guy would have been put to death by now cuz i guess i guess there's a uh, code 10 USC 910 that says a person who willfully or wrongfully improperly hazards a vessel or aircraft shall be punished by death or such other punishment as a court martial may direct so right there they value the the equipment in the plane over the pilot and the fact that he, you know, once again goes against orders and destroys a plane because of it. I, I don't know if, if, you know, Val Kilmer, if Iceman could have saved him from that one. Uh, it's a movie. I know. He's a Fucking com- get over of it. the Pacific Fleet. I don't know. And he's the commander of the Pacific fucking fleet. He, I mean, with something like that, I bet you he gets Maverick off. I bet you it's maybe once. I don't know. Val maybe Kilmer twice. gets me off all the time. Well, I mean... Come on, he's cold as ice. And now Maverick is in Kane's office, and this is where Kane tells him that he's going back to Top Gun. And naturally, you know, he's got to get on the motorcycle, and he's got to fly along the F-14, just like he did in the first one. Um, Was that an F-14? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, it, it probably wasn't. It was probably an F-18 or a, that's a what, newer. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I think. No, you're right. But the point is, he's flying along racing a jet like he does in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than uh, the lighting or maybe the time of day, I mean, he doesn't look fucking that much older than he did then. No, he doesn't. Uh, so he reports to uh, the new uppers at Top Gun, and this is where we get to meet John Hamm's character Cyclone and Charles Parnell's Warlock uh, characters. I like the bit, and I'll give this movie its due. I think this movie was uh, written so much better than the first one. The story thread for this one just worked better for me than the first one and so he walks in and you know maverick being maverick and i love that john ham john ham plays this character perfectly i kind of despised him but i knew he was the big man on campus so i mean his word is law and he walks in and he says uh captain mitchell your reputation precedes you and you know maverick being all cocky Thank you. And uh, his, and John Hamm's response is fucking classic. It wasn't a compliment. <laughs> John Hamm uh, signed in to, 
to do the movie even before he had a script. He didn't read the script or anything. He just said yes. He wanted in. I think I would do the same thing. I think this is about any actor would for this movie. It was such a big movie. And so this is where we kind of get the crux of our story. And this is, you know, this is what's going to drive us through the rest of the film. Uh, some mission that has to be done uh, looks a lot like a movie I've seen before. Um, mean, and no, surprisingly, not Top Gun. You mean flying through a trench with guns shooting at you to hit a little port to get a missile to go down in? That we, reminds you of some movie out there? We used to hit those things with womp rats. Exactly. Right? They're not much bigger than two meters. Yeah. I mean, did did you guys roll your eyes at that a little bit when you first heard it? No. I, no, 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 I didn't. <laughs> I did roll my eyes just a little bit when I found out that the name of that trench is commonly, uh, the common name for it is called the Star uh, the Star Wars Run. Oh, that's funny because real pilots probably make that run, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it is used all the time for training. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Do you roll your eyes, bud? No, I, I mean, I figured out right away what they were doing and I just figured it was, you know, as you talked about a legacy kind of movie, they were just giving a nod to Star Wars. No, oh, well, I, I, I never thought about it that way, but I guess they could. I guess they could be. I thought it was just fucking lazy storytelling. Yeah. That's what I thought it was. But you know, we're no, gonna we're gonna I, I we're, didn't take it like that at all. We're it, gonna see it real life. So I was excited for well, it. Well, I'm gonna bring up a few other things, but this movie actually had a lot of nods to other movies out there, other kind of movies from our childhood. Uh, oh, I in it. I don't doubt it at all. I think that movies today are starting to do that. You know what I mean? And and the directors we get um, will do that. And if you get it, cool. If not, obviously it didn't affect you. So, you know. I'm going to puke if you say something about Flash Gordon. Well, now I want to, but I didn't look anything up for Flash Gordon. Well, if it was Flash Gordon, it would have been made up. But. And it would have been a fucking stretch. <laughs> I am going to bring up another great classic movie that we should review one of these days on the podcast. Okay, I can't fucking wait till when we get there. So Maverick is back in Fighter Town, and he goes to this bar. When he walks into the bar, and he sees Penny for the first time, what song is playing? The song you hear is Let's Dance. Who is that? Oh, it's David song? Boy. Why do you think they put that in there right as we see Jennifer Connelly? Because she was in Labyrinth with David Boy. They were doing a nod to Labyrinth. That was the other movie I was talking about that we should review someday is Labyrinth. I'm going to go ahead and give you a hard no on that one. Um, so we meet Jennifer Conley's character, and we find out that she is Penny Benjamin. Did you guys pick on, on that right away? Totally. I had already heard that ahead of time. So I kind of, you know, it's one of those things you kind of wish you didn't hear ahead of time. I probably wouldn't have made the connection until they talked about later the Admiral's daughter, but I did not make the connection without knowing it ahead of time. She is the Admiral's daughter that clearly Maverick has history with. Uh, she is mentioned only by name in the first Top Gun, but the through line goes, you know, from Top Gun to Top Gun Maverick, and, and that's how they wove it together. You know, you know, and unfortunately, if they're not going to have Kelly McGinnis in this movie, I'm glad that they did find a way to connect the love interest up to the first movie. And I liked this love story, if you will, so much better than the first movie. Did you get the subtle notes that they talked about their relationship, especially through the daughter's eyes of what's been going on with them over the years that they've basically from what they were trying to reveal was 
Maverick's been in and out of her life many times and broken her heart every time. Oh, that's what they did reveal. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying it was kind of subtle. I, I thought maybe he hadn't seen her since then, but no, he apparently had broken her heart before. And that's why she was very standoff with it. Well, with their, the the, their interaction when they first, when he first gets there, you know, I, I could tell that they've been on and on, on again, off again for quite some years. Yeah. So now when she rings the bell, and makes him pay for things, and she points to the sign. Was it because he disrespected her, or was it because he had a cell phone on the bar? Both. Okay, because I wasn't sure which specific one it was. Because, you know, what his comment didn't seem like it was terribly disrespectful, but she did point, and they really quickly showed his phone sitting on the counter. I, I took it as that Maverick, he has, uh, he's made mistakes with Penny, and she was kind of sort of waiting to see where the wind was blowing with this, and she could have rung that bell right off the bat with the phone, and she, and she chose not to. And then I felt like that the conversation took just enough of a turn for her to say, all right, that's it. And then ding, rings the bell. Yeah. When Hangman comes in and goes to the jukebox, did you catch the numbers that he put, put into the jukebox? 666? No. He types in 86 to play oh, the song. For the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, it's funny that you bring up Hangman. This is where we meet our Top Gun graduates. Uh, what do you guys think of this younger cast? I dug them. They, they uh, had a lot of spunk to them, and I appreciated their uh, cocky attitude. They all felt like mini Mavericks. Absolutely. And mini Icemen. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, I really liked all of them, but I had a hard time buying Hangman's character. Um, he just seemed like they were trying to create too much of an Iceman. And the fact that he had already graduated from Top Gun school, you think he would have worked out of his system, leaving people behind and being an asshole. You think he would have been a little bit more, you know, a little cared a little bit more about the other pilots. How do you know that's not how he won it? I don't know, but I just, I didn't buy his character as much. Oh, he was the one I bought the most. Mm. Uh, he comes in with this cocky attitude played by Glenn Powell who I think is a good actor. And I thought he embodied this role uh, very well. And he was cocky, he was arrogant, and he was the one that you didn't want to see succeed. He was your Iceman. You know what I mean? And I love that the fact that they call him Hangman. He hangs other people out to dry. And he doesn't deny it. And he doesn't uh, dispute it, right? Uh, I believe last podcast we talked about how uh, pilots get their call signs. Well, clearly a bunch of pilots got together and thought that this guy was a dick, but yet he's still on the same team and he's still a hell of a pilot. Um, I fucking, I, he was probably my second favorite of the new, the new generations. Who was your favorite of the new, new batch? I really enjoyed Miles Teller's character and he plays uh, rooster, which is uh, goose's son. I really like Phoenix, and I liked Bob. I liked them all. I uh, but if I had to pick my favorite, it would probably be either Rooster or Hangman. Do you have favorites? Uh, yeah, I have a couple of favorites. I totally dug Rooster. I also uh, loved Phoenix. An important call out to Phoenix there. Kudos to the production for having a female fighter pilot, having a woman included today. Whereas you know. In, in the original Top Gun, no women were allowed like that. Yeah. So, you know, call out, you know, props. Good for them for including Phoenix and having her being every bit as good as the rest of them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I also totally dug uh, Bob. Bob was great. And I also really enjoyed Hangman as well. These are, I, I thought that each one of these characters, you know, you have a couple of hours to spend time with these characters and how do you get to know them and how are they going to be fleshed out? And that can be a challenge in telling a good story that we get an essence of our characters when we only get to have them for a couple of minutes at a time. How are they going to convey themselves so we know who they are and what they represent in the story? So, you know, good for them. And having them fleshed out so nicely was uh, good storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Who was your favorite? Uh, I, you know, first of all, I was leaning more towards Phoenix, like you were saying. I really liked the inclusion of the character. I liked the attitude of the character. She fit right in with the boys. You didn't think of it as, you know, a woman with all these guys. You just saw them all as fighter pilots. And then I just, something about Bob. I just leaned towards Bob. I really liked him. I guess I was reading that Tom Cruise, for the last 20 years, has tried to put a character named Bob in every one of his movies. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So, I don't know. There's just something about Bob and the way he worked, and he was so mellow and so laid back. And even when he was in the jet scenes, his reactions to things, I, I just really liked his character. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are uh, told and we find out that uh, Rooster's relationship with Maverick is strained to say the least. And we don't quite know it yet, but you know, uh, that that's gonna, that's gonna come to a head when everyone is at the bar and uh, Rooster walks in Maverick sees him and then he, he decides to leave. Right. Um, and, Right before he does that, fucking Penny rings the bell again. Hangman and Coyote physically throw Maverick out of the bar. Because he couldn't afford to pay the bill. Because he couldn't afford to pay the bill, which I thought was cute. And they kept calling him Pops and this, that, and the other. I, I guess my question would be is if, since I'm a, a pilot at Top Gun, and I see this guy wearing a jacket with Top Gun patches all over it, you don't know who you're throwing out of a fucking bar. <laughs> Do you think they'd also, as an older pilot, you think they would show him a little respect? I guess it's just to kind of show their cockiness. And they were doing the role reversal from the first movie where, you know, he was basically playing the Kelly McGinnis role in it, that he was the one getting disrespected and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we get another callback with great balls of fire. Yeah. And I think this leads to, uh, I, I really, I really appreciated this scene. And, and I bought it and, uh, Maverick is getting up and he's walking away, but he hears that they're playing great balls of fire and he looks through the window and he can see rooster. And now he starts remembering goose and it, in his face, you can see that it's really, really taking a toll on him. But what sells it for me is when they cut to Jennifer Conley and she has this big smile on her face and she's laughing and loving and everything's jumping right now and everyone's having a great time and she catches a glimpse of Maverick and she, I feel like she conveys that she understands what he's going through and she she knows that it still bothers him. He's and, tortured. Yeah, and she gets it. She gets it. You know, and, and I thought and I thought it was such a great scene. And, you know, they fade out the great balls of fire to play it in kind of in the background when we're outside. And, you know, it was just a smart job of editing with bringing back Goose and and all of that stuff. And I, I really liked this scene. I think this was uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Two things about this scene. I did think it was a little 
almost a little too obvious to have him come in pretty much wearing the same clothes that Goose would wear from the first movie. But did you catch when he was playing the piano, uh, Miles Teller actually purposely put in some you know neck movement to act like a rooster. So maybe that's where he got his nickname from. He was actually pecking his head like a rooster. I want to go back to the first thing you said. I said, wasn't it a little too obvious that he comes in wearing the same outfit as Goose? And yet we've seen Tom Cruise in the same jeans. Uh, we saw the same opening. We saw the same but riding the same on the motorcycle. It's the same movie. All encompassing. I'm I'm just shocked that it take it that you say that to this scene when it, everything else has just been thrown in your face. Well, it just seems like it's it's a little too th- you know as you just said thrown into your face that he's got the same mustache. He's wearing the same clothes. I would now, have, maybe he models himself. I would have expected father. nothing less. Mm. I nothing thought they less. might make it a little less obvious. Why? He's fucking Goose's son. They're gonna throw it in our face. And they're going to intentionally show us that him and Maverick do not fucking like each other at the moment. Scratch that. He doesn't like Maverick at the moment, and Maverick doesn't know what to do. And I thought that was a great arc for Maverick because, like you said earlier, John, has he matured? Has he grown up? I mean, this this is going to help show us. This is going to help show us who Maverick's been up until now. You well, know, so there's a lot of hints in this movie that it's because of Goose's death that he hasn't been able to progress in his life, that he is stuck in that. And we especially when we get to the Iceman scene um, that that's hinted at that he needs to let go so he can move on and actually become the next person he's going to be. As the aviators train for the mission, friction develops between Hangman and Rooster, who resents Hangman's cavalier attitude towards his wingman while Hangman criticizes Rooster's caution. Maverick also reunites with former girlfriend Penny Benjamin, to whom he reveals that Rooster's now-dead mother made him promise to keep her son from flying, and blocked Rooster's application to the Naval Academy, setting back his career. Maverick later meets with Iceman, who has throat cancer and primarily communicates by typing on a computer. Reassuring Maverick about teaching the team, he dies days later, and Maverick, along with the aviators, attend his funeral where a missing man formation is observed. With Iceman gone, Cyclone removes Maverick as mission trainer and sets new parameters that are less risky on approach, but riskier on exit. However, Maverick makes an unauthorized flight of the simulated course with the original parameters, proving it could be done. Cyclone is convinced and reluctantly appoints Maverick as strike leader. So this is kind of where um, it really picks up. And, uh, you know, like the first movie, Maverick walks in and Hangman almost gives the exact same look that Tom Cruise gives when he sees Charlie for the first time. And you you knew that was coming. I thought it was a nice nod. I thought it was cute. I thought they played it well. Because, again, the acting in this scene and the, the characters and the, the mission briefs and what we're getting here is really good stuff. And then we get up into the air. And as we get up into the air, now it's time for a little bit of dogfighting. Let's, let's see what you got. Oh, I, fuck's sake. I yes, think this, was- this is the point in the movie that became my favorite part of the movie is all the, the training and the dogfighting. And this is what I think the average Top Gun fan has been waiting for. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, we didn't get this much flying in the original. And... Every time you went up in the planes, it was the most fun. And what was great about this was now Maverick was the teacher. 
And he even says it. He says, today's lesson, dogfighting. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? And I fucking love, I love his intro. <laughs> he fucking pulls a maverick and flies right between the fucking jets and catches him off guard. And now we're off. So they start their lesson and it's one against two. And then he, he and then the guys are feeling kind of cocky. And what do they want to do? Hey, you know, let, let, what does he say? You know, we, maybe we should make a little wager or something. We should like put that. some skin in the game. Yeah, we should put some skin in the game. And so, you know, how about say two hundred push-ups? Man, that's a lot of push-ups. Love it. Yes, it was so good. And I love the montage of. Every, as he takes out every pilot, they're all doing these push-ups. Yes, absolutely. And he says, game on. And then... Uh, that's a kill. That's a kill. That's a kill. That's a kill. It was so good. And it's through these scenes that we get to know about our pilots. And it's through these scenes that we get to know more about our characters. And we get to grow with Maverick a little more. I think Rooster is the first one to get killed in the games. And he's the first one that has to do the push-ups. And then we cut to in like one of the control rooms or whatever. And the pilots are looking at him and uh, they said, yeah, he got himself killed or whatnot. And Phoenix says, and now, you know, just a little bit about what kind of man Rooster is. I mean, Rooster basically took one for the team. Right. And so we're getting to know all of all of our characters. And I got to say, I was super happy when Hangman went up and then Hangman went down. The funny thing is, is and I, I love, again, we talked about how this movie is so similar to the first movie, that now we kind of have Maverick in uh, Tom Skerritt's type position. Absolutely. And did you know that Tom Cruise is actually, in this movie, he's older than Tom Skerritt was in the first movie? I would have never guessed that in a million years. Because Tom Cruise doesn't look it. I know, he doesn't look it, but I just thought that was kind of, I think he's, he's older by about two years than Tom Skerritt was in the first movie. Yeah, I mean, that's how time works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate to break it to you. Uh, did you guys uh, see that one move uh, that Maverick did? He like hit the brakes and the guy flew right by. Well, that's, I guess, called a Cobra maneuver. Because remember when the, I think it was John Hame says, you're pulling some of that Cobra shit. I guess that's what it's called. It's called a Cobra breaking move. Yeah, no, I was just referring to that we had seen it before. I know, but I'm just that's all. giving you the name for it. <laughs> when you have to explain the joke, it doesn't work. I just wanted to throw in that Cobra move because he calls him a Cobra pussy shit. Oh, does he? Yeah, there's a guy who goes, he goes, you and that Cobra pussy shit because he's talking about going under the hard deck. What was their hard deck in this movie? Wasn't it like 2,000 feet? It was like 4,000, 5,000 feet? Oh. No, it it was definitely... For dogfighting. Yeah. But another callback, he again, breaking the hard deck. Well, yeah, because I don't know how many times I got to say it, but I gotta, I'll say it one more time for you, John. It's the same fucking movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no i got that but I, I like all the callbacks they were fun right it just goes along to show still maverick's the same maverick and he hasn't learned from you know over 35 years hasn't taught him anything i uh, i didn't take it like that at all uh, neither did i when did they go below oh okay so what you're talking about is when maverick and rooster go below below the hard deck that was personal Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, I don't think it's Maverick not learning anything. Maverick was trying to teach uh, Rooster something and by any means necessary. That's Maverick's bottom line is by any means necessary. He's going to do what he needs to do to get the job done. And I thought that fucking scene was pretty cool. Uh, he pulls the, Maverick pulls the inverted maneuver, you know, and uh, what does he say something? He goes, okay, let's do this. Let's get this over with. Uh, no, Rooster says that. 
and then they start doing their uh, spiral spin. Right. Because um, whoever breaks up first is going to get shot. Right. And um, that's when they go below the hard deck. And, I mean, other than that, they don't go below the hard deck. Yeah, I just took it that um, Maverick is being forced to handle the the horns that Rooster is constantly um, shooting towards him. That Rooster has a huge chip on his shoulder towards Maverick, and it's going to be an underlying current throughout the rest of the story for us. Right. And so uh, we find out that there are two stages to this mission. And the first one is the Canyon run. Uh, well, fuck, we'll just call it the Death Star run. And, uh, you know, they have to stay below. They have to stay, was a hundred feet? hundred feet. Can't go above a hundred feet. Otherwise the radar is going to get you. That's right. And but so I think the, they said at 400 feet is when those missiles are going to be able to target you. Yeah. Something like that, which is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so they are doing these simulations and it's a time test. And again, we're seeing our top gun characters and what kind of characters they are. We see uh hangman leaving his wingman. Uh, we see rooster being reluctant and not wanting to push it. And, you know, they're trying to train, they're trying to train, and then it gets dropped on them that instead of three weeks, they have two weeks. And so the second part of this mission is now they got to go up this mountain, down the mountain, shoot the womp rat, and then get the fuck out of Dodge, right? And I like these scenes where they simulate it and they're showing us, and every time, you know, we cut into the cockpit and he's hitting the thrusters and pulling them back. And then the plane turns. And I mean, the fucking photography was just fucking amazing. And I these were some of my favorite scenes of the yeah. movie. And you got definitely, we talked about it earlier, but you definitely got because of all the cameras and all the foot, you got a more of a feel of these are actual planes doing these actual maneuvers. Yeah. For fucking sure. For sure. And that's what I really appreciated about it. what do you think about uh, the scene with Phoenix and Bob and the bird in the intake? Uh, I thought after what we had just went through, I thought it was a bit much. Did you think that they were going to live? Yeah. I didn't think they were going to kill anyone. I got to be honest with you guys. I didn't think anyone was going to die in this. I didn't think about it going into it. And so when we do get a death, I was fucking broken. So I just wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the techniques and the reasons for, uh, for having them fly the way that they do. And we talked about it partially, but... Uh, I I found out that it uh, why do they have to go inverted once they get up? And I, I thought that it was really fascinating to find out that the reason why as soon as as soon as they uh, hit the thrusters and and they start the climb, and then it, this is a common tactic that uh, fighter pilots will f- uh, frequently practice that uh, they have to go inverted immediately. Instead of uh, going from nose up to nose down, they have to go inverted because if they were to start to go down, then the G's work against this. Uh, work the G's work against them, and they end up getting uh, what is it called? It's um, oh, it's called red out, and the G's force too much blood into the brain, and so to invert the plane, then they get some G's that are a little bit more friendly. So as soon as you invert, then then you pull back hard, and 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 the G's uh, make it manageable for the plane and for the pilot as they come down, and they're able to uh, get 
a sight on their target a little bit faster. And I guess when they do it, it is very, very fast. It, you know, you know, you're upright, then boom, just like that, you're up, you're inverted upside down. But I thought that that was really interesting to find out about that. I did appreciate kind of what you're talking about that they actually gave us the impression of showing people slowly blacking out. And then that one pilot, I don't remember who it was that actually did black out, um, that they kind of, you know, they, they gave us that information ahead of time. That was payback. It's called G-lock. G-lock is a G-force induced loss of consciousness. And when this happens, which is a really real thing, they have to train for this. And so uh, it's really important that when you are training for G-lock, um, you need to have uh, good techniques for, for breathing and you need to have strong glutes and uh, strong hamstrings and you start prepping your body for it right before you're, you're taking all those G's in. And if you don't, maybe you're distracted. If you look off to the side, you don't get that preparation done immediately. It is a really real thing that pilots die from this. Planes crash from this and they have technology that they're working on to ensure that this happens less. So when they invert and they go over the mountain and they're coming down, they get, they just roll back over to the right side, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now that you explain that, it makes so much more sense. Yeah. You know, because I thought when they went inverted, I thought, oh, that's fucking really cool looking. I wonder if it's practical. And it totally is. So that's fucking awesome. So uh, things aren't going as uh, planned. The the students aren't making the times. The only one who made the time was Rooster, but Ma- Maverick feels like it took too long and he's dead anyway. And I like the bit when they're sitting in the debriefing room and he says, uh, why are you dead? Well, I didn't. He goes, don't tell me, tell his family. You know what I mean? He's really line. breaking it home, uh, bringing it home. And you kind of had to get from the beginning that Cyclone, the head guy in charge, when he was pitching the mission to Maverick, didn't really fucking care if they came home. Yeah, and it, like and, he didn't plan on yeah, it. Yeah, and it was Maverick who just kept saying, and return home, right, sir? And he kind of goes, they, they knew what they signed up for. it. So Maverick is instilling in them survival. You know, let's do this mission. Let's get it done. It can be done. But come home. That's that's the thing. And he reinforces that when he's uh, talking to the cadets saying, you know, why are you dead? Why are you dead? And this is where uh, we find out that Hangman knows that Goose's dad flew with Maverick. And when uh, Maverick is questioning Rooster, you know, why are you dead? I was in a dogfight. You're still dead. They're the fifth generation, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Um this is where uh, Hangman tells uh, everybody the business. And, you know, this is that bad day and class gets dismissed and Maverick's just kind of sitting there and he gets a text from Ice. And the I, and Iceman says, I need to talk to you. And, you know. Not a good time. And so uh, I like what it says after that. Uh, he says, uh, I wasn't asking. <laughs> you know, so Iceman pulls rank. I love it. So we cut to uh, Maverick arriving at Admiral Iceman's house and we see Ice's wife and we find out that his cancer is back and he doesn't want to do anything, you know. It even just hurts him to even speak. Yeah, and so they kind of set us up for that. And, you know, throughout this whole movie, we get bits where um, the nostalgia factor. Did you expect to see Iceman again? 
No, I thought that he was actually, I thought his character was going to be dead going into the film. And that's how they were going to pay tribute to uh, Iceman's character. So when Maverick goes there and, um, you know, sees him, there's that moment in these legacy sequels that it, it kind of tugs on the heartstring and it really kind of makes you remember uh, certain feelings that you felt when you saw the first one. Uh, my best example is when Han walks into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon for the first time in Force Awakens. There's a musical cue by John Williams and Harrison Ford's performance. You just go, oh, it's so perfect. I felt the same thing when Maverick walks in and sees Ice sitting there and there's that, there's a musical cue and you're just like, oh, this is so fucking cool. You know, Maverick's having a really hard time. He feels like he can't teach these kids. And Iceman's saying, you are the perfect guy for this job. I believe in you. He keeps saying it over and over again. Well, sort of. I I, I appreciated very much how um, the less is more that uh, Iceman is giving Maverick. You know, he's just typing on the screen. I really dug how you have Maverick filling in all of the other things that Iceman could be saying, but he's not because he just sits there with those simple phrases on the monitor. And I thought it was a lot more powerful that way. Yeah. I also liked, you know, an actor who can say a lot with just expressions and the fact that Ice was giving him, you know, while he's saying all these things and you can see exactly, you know, what Iceman is trying to convey to him just on Val Kilmer's face. I'm pretty sure uh, it was the same look through the whole fucking thing. Yeah, but, but it was just this, <laughs> this look like maybe a stern father would give of, I'm not buying into your bullshit. And the fact that Maverick has to fill in the blanks, and he does, you know. He's yeah, having an argument scene. with an expression is what I'm trying to say. Yes, yes he is. And, and that's good. And uh, this scene plays so well. And then those last words that he typed onto the screen, which was, it's time to let go. And he just kind of keeps going back to that. And then, uh, what'd you think of his speaking in the movie? I thought it was fine. Um, I re- uh, did you know it was all digital? Well, it was partly digital and it was actually partly someone's voice. It was, uh, through the aid of, uh, computer technology. Initially Val Kilmer, uh, got to experience some success with this technology and they were able to take earlier samplings from his previous uh, speeches that he had done in conjunction with using his son's voice. And what a fucking line, right? Well, j- just that, that last little bit. The Navy needs Maverick. You know, this is giving Maverick validation. Stay the course. The kid needs Maverick. You know, talking, don't give up on Rooster. That's why I fought for you. Okay, and so this is why Maverick is still able to fly. He's an old geezer for flying. He shouldn't be flying anymore. He is, he is great, 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 great grandfather age for a pilot. No fighter pilot should be flying in their upper 50s. No way. One of the impressions I got here, and maybe it was obvious to everybody else, but I got the impression that obviously, you know, Valcomer's character, Iceman, had a role to play in setting up this whole mission. Like maybe he was partly responsible for picking the pilots or knew ahead of time, here's the pilots are going to go. And the fact that when he saw Rooster on there, he knew he had to get Maverick involved to protect Rooster. Well, yeah, I mean, possibly. Ice has to know the history. You know, uh, Ice has to know that Maverick pulled 
uh, Rooster's Papers and set his career back, and he he has to know. So I think Ice was probably looking for any opportunity to help Maverick reconcile with this kid. And so when this came up, sure. I mean, it, it could have all been Iceman's greater well, plan. One last thing. Who's the better pilot, you or me? You know, th- this is a nice moment. Let's not ruin it. Love that moment. One thing I was going to ask is they are obviously going for kind of a man cry, man tear up scene during this. Did you feel yourself, you know, tearing up at all? Or later on when you find out that ice dies, did that do anything for you? Like it did in the first movie? Oh dude, I cried when they cut back to goose. I cried when this scene happened. I cried when fucking, uh, Iceman dies. And, uh, the very end, when they look at the the pictures of them, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very it's a very uh, uh, emotional movie. But that's fucking Hollywood, man. That's fucking movies. Well, that makes a great movie if it affects you like that. Absolutely. And if it doesn't affect you like that, I don't fucking know what to tell you. You don't have a heart, maybe. The uh, beach football scene does allude to uh, a moment that bothered Don a lot in the last one it was completely worthless to have this in the movie and courtesy of john ham he addresses that for you don yes yes he does and yes this football scene what's the point of this exactly what was the point of the volleyball scene john ham i love it walks up and he goes uh we are less than two weeks away every minute counts what the fuck is going on here and uh you know, Tom Cruise is like, they're playing offense, defense, same time. They're learning teamwork. And John Hamm's like, well, this is fucking stupid. What are they, you know, how is this even working? And then he looks over and they're all together and they're actually being a team. And Maverick says something along the lines of, you asked for a team, there's your team. And then John Hamm can't say anything because fucking Maverick was right and it's working. And now they're a team and they're starting to train more and, you know, things aren't going fantastically. And to make matters worse, Iceman dies. And so this is the bit where we get uh, the funeral. And uh, I like the scene where uh, Maverick takes his wings and he, he slams them into the coffin. And he, he's got to say goodbye to Ice. And we as the audience now know that Maverick is no longer protected. And so chances are he's going to get fired. Uh, what'd you guys think of all this? I dug the uh, the the plane fly over. I thought that looked really good, and seeing all of all of the uniforms there in the shot, so it was a big deal. And I also uh, appreciated the uh, the gravity of the situation for Maverick no longer having anybody to have his back. So, however, more you know, whatever else happens, and any time he gets busted, that you know he's going to be left swinging in the wind. Yeah, absolutely. And so the inevitable happens and Maverick gets called into Cyclone's office and is relieved of duty. And Cyclone is going to take over the training for the mission. And it gives, he gives the impression of the way his training is going to work. Instead of like, what, two minutes in the cannon or canyon, it's going to be four minutes and he doesn't care if they all die. Yeah, he, sure. he was more about the mission than about the man. 
And so in the meantime, uh, while all of this is going on, uh, Penny and Maverick have been spending some time together and they're starting to rekindle their romance. And uh, we even get a bit where we think it's going to be another, uh, you know, sex scene like we got in the first movie. But they did it so smart that they focused on them kissing for like two seconds and then they cut to them talking. You know what I mean? And I think I appreciated that more now than, you know, the 86 version. A lot more tastefully done. Yeah. And uh, this is the bit where, uh, you know, Maverick jumps out the window and he sees... uh, So funny. Penny's daughter. And, you know, I think it's supposed to... I think it's meant to be a comedic moment. Like, oh, fuck, shit. But what she says to him turns it real, real quick. You know, just don't break her heart again. What do you fucking do with that? You know what I mean? So of all the scenes in the movie, this one felt to me like it was a, just a generic callback to every eighties movie with someone sneaking out the window and jumping down. It really called back to me. Yeah. That's awesome. Doing a lot of sneaking around in the eighties. My knees wouldn't have taken jumping out that window. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think Tom Cruise is bionic. I would have just gotten caught. So there you go. And right before he jumps out, he says, this is the last time I'm going out the window, which means that he's coming to terms with where he's at in life, that he needs to he needs to figure out what he's doing with his future. And you know what? I And this is part of his story arc, and this is part of his growth. Because he was told he's grounded. Yeah. And then so... Um, or no, he doesn't get told that yet. Not yet. But I also got the impression that he was saying that because... He was almost, you know, like he was getting to the point he's ready to commit to her that it was like, we have to tell your daughter because I'm here to stay. And that's part of the growth that Maverick is experiencing, that he's looking towards a, a new adventure, a, a different horizon for himself. So Maverick goes to Penny's and says, you know, I'm grounded. I don't know what to do. And she says, you're fucking Maverick. You'll figure it out. What does that got to be like if you're a pilot and you're flying and then just like that? That's it. You're not getting in a jet again. What do you think was more on his mind at that point? The fact of not getting in the plane or not being able to be there to protect Rooster? Oh, I think it was all about that, the squadron. It was all yeah. about the mission and, and protecting the kids. So yeah. I don't think he was. And not just Rooster, but all of the kids. He, Absolutely. He wanted to protect all of them. Yeah, I don't think it was so much about his future career of not flying, but it's those kids. Yeah, no, that's and that's exactly why he does what, what he, he does. does. And I fucking love this scene so good uh so maverick goes and he uh he's gonna do the mission they're in the middle of the briefing and uh something pops up on the monitors and we have uh, a plane out there and everyone's like what the who the fuck is it and we find out that it's maverick and he's gonna do what they said couldn't be done and i love how they say even at one point he was like a second ahead of schedule uh, I think we. I think I calculated. I think he was like fifteen seconds ahead. Something of like that. So he's actually doing it better. Yeah. And it, he's basically the whole goal is to prove it can be done. Yeah. And he fucking does it and um, nails it. He and he knows the consequences and he knows what's going to happen and he probably assumes that he'll get court martialed for this or this that and the other. But he had to prove it to the not to Cyclone and not to Warlock, not to the uppers. He had to prove it to the team that it could be done. And yeah, didn't John Hames' character just say it couldn't, you know, we figured out it couldn't be done. So that's why we're going yeah, with this. And, that, and that's what makes this moment brilliant. And so Maverick successfully navigates the entire thing 
and what what takes what what's gonna turn out to take was it eight eight planes or is it just four well it's it was it, two teams two uh, two, two teams, teams of two, two so there's four yeah. so maverick does what uh, two teams of two are going to do. He does by himself. So he does the uh, the radar lock, and he does the fucking. He does it without laser gu- guidance. Oh, does he? Yeah, because he just does the radar lock on it and shoots it basically blind. Oh, yeah, but he fucking pulls it off. And then you know you had to see this coming a mile away. He's getting reprimanded by Cyclone again, and this time instead of him being court-martialed and thrown into jail or death, he gets chosen as team leader and so now he has to pick his team to complete the mission maverick chooses the mission team and pairs himself with lieutenant natasha phoenix trace and her wso lieutenant robert bob floyd while rooster is paired with lieutenant ruben payback fitch and his wso lieutenant mickey fanboy garcia hangman and the remaining aviators are put on standby the team launches from the aircraft carrier USS Theodore Roosevelt while the guided missile cruiser USS Layette Gulf fires Tomahawk cruise missiles to destroy the airbase near the plant. The team reaches the plant and destroys it and gets engaged by surface-to-air missiles. Rooster runs out of countermeasures and Maverick sacrifices his jet to ensure Rooster's safety and ejects. Believing Maverick to be killed in action, the remaining aviators are ordered to return to the carrier. Rooster turns back instinctively to save Maverick from an M24 helicopter gunship, but gets shot down by another surface-to-air missile and ejects nearby. The two reunite and head towards the destroyed airbase, where they steal an F-14 Tomcat and head back to the carrier. Maverick and Rooster shoot down two intercepting Su-57s, but a third arrives and they run out of ammunition and countermeasures. Hangman arrives from standby to shoot down the Su-57 and the planes return to cheers on the carrier, where Maverick and Rooster reconcile. Sometime after the mission, Maverick and Rooster work together on a P-51 Mustang at a hangar near the test facility where Maverick was previously stationed. Penny arrives with her daughter Amelia and Maverick takes her for a ride in the P-51. Rooster walks to a photo board and acknowledges a photo of their mission success alongside a photo of his late father and young Maverick. Roll credits. One interesting thing that I read was this is where, right in the beginning here, this is where we get to know why Phoenix got her call sign or why they named her this in the movie. Did you get that reference? Uh, do Do you know what just the bird Phoenix is famous for? Rising from the ashes. Whenever it dies, it rises from the ashes. So the point of her name was, you notice that early on she had the plane crash uh, because the bird flew into the intake. He still ended up picking her for this mission. So that was her representation of rising from the ashes that she still got picked when didn't think that she would now get to go on the mission. So the lead into this mission, uh, it, it definitely gives an undercurrent that somebody's not going to come back. And it, I, I felt that that was, uh, that was uh, kind of galvanized when uh, Maverick is getting into the cockpit and Hondo says, hey, Maverick, hey, hey, you with me? I don't like that look, Maverick. It's the only one I've got. Thank you. If I don't see you again, thank you. It's like, mm. I I, I kind of got that same bit uh, moments before when he and in, uh, Warlock were standing on the catapults. I was thinking, are they going to fucking do it? Are they going to have the balls 
to fucking kill Maverick. Maverick. Because that's where it was going. And per legacy sequels, one of the characters typically dies. Well, they it felt like they were dropping a lot of hints earlier on when they kept saying, you're going to keep doing this till you die. Yeah, but they've been saying that since the first movie. Mm-hmm. So, since, um, And since Iceman, he's gone and, you know, we'll talk... He says, he says to Rooster, we'll, we'll, we'll talk when we get back. Oh, it's such a good moment. But then I started thinking, no way do they kill the fucking son, too. They can't. They can't kill Goose and then in the sequel, kill the son. What kind of shit would that be? Once we get up into the air, I, I, I totally dug watching the planes take off. And I, I loved that diamond formation they were in. I guess the diamond formation, such a sexy looking shot. Those planes are CGI. Yeah. No, I heard that too. Were they? Oh, that yeah. just ruined that for me. Because I thought when they were in that formation and then they moved into single file. So fucking cool, it right? It was one of the greatest, you know, scenes of the movie, just the, the, the acrobatics. And you're telling me that that was the fake, was a fake scene? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nah. It was a great shot though. Yeah. It's fucking sexy. Looking so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh my gosh, how exciting was it to watch going through those going through those canyons, being able to see, you know, it's not just ocean, but you have fucking hills, trees, you know, that you see on the canopies. Flying through the bridge. So, so awesome. I thought the bridge was a little bit over the top. Um, And compared to the first film when we're always up in the sky, Mm -hmm. you know, now we're down low and we're moving through those fucking canyons. Through the Death Star Trench. Um, Yeah, I saw the bridge and I'm like, (laughs) But you go with it because it's fun. I did like, again, we talked about the tension of the view of the planes flying through and then them looking up and seeing the missiles above them. That was a cool shot. I really appreciated that kind of tension of, you know, this overwatch feature of these missiles kind of just above them. It was crazy. And you're just waiting for that one second when they start to turn and they're going to aim or, you know, but they don't move and you can breathe for a second. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And of course, you know, they're flying through the fucking trench and roosters falling behind. And you have that, that moment where he says, talk to me, dad. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I like how Maverick is in his ear too. And he's all don't think kid, just do it. Mm-hmm. And he fucking does it. So we we hit the targets, and now they pull up, and sure enough, here comes a couple of fighters. Yeah, because you knew that they were potentially going to get spotted. But at this particular moment, they don't know they're there. They're just in the vicinity, yep. which just adds a little bit more of the tension. It was those missiles that I thought, oh, my God, when they're flying out of the trench, and now they've got to go up to past 400 feet to get out. And all of those missile turrets at the top of the canyon are now all shooting at them. Oh, that was just fucking fun. And that they, you know, they had to fire the flares and they had to dodge and had to do all this to duck and dodge. And, and dip. Uh, that tension there too, I thought was great in this movie. Oh yeah. I think this ending bit, I think this third act um, is probably my favorite bit of the movie mixed in with the, with the training. Um, and we're almost to the part of the movie where I could have went, eh. So they are getting into a dogfight. They've completed the mission. They blew up the silo underneath, the uranium. It's a fucking dogfight. And these new generation fighters against F-18s, plus the surface-to-air missiles that are coming after them. And 
you know, it was at this point where I was thinking, okay, someone's going to get shot down. Someone's going to get blown up. And then Rooster's about to get it. But then Maverick flies up to save the day and it blows up for a split second. I thought they did it. I thought they killed him. I thought so too, because the fact of where his plane was hit, it looked like his plane was cut in half. And I'm thinking that's almost to the point where the cockpit is. How is he going to eject out of that? Especially since he's already, you know, he's vertical, not flying horizontal. He's going to eject straight out. And what are they, 400 feet up? Yeah. I was trying to think, how is he supposed to survive that? Uh, Did you think he was dead? I thought that he was going to die a little bit later. And then, uh, you know, they're flying back and everyone's like, where's Maverick? Where's Maverick? And they're ordered, the rest of the team is ordered to go back to the carrier. And, you know, you had to know Rooster was going back for him. And this was the, this was the bit in the movie where I went, uh, I kind of looked at my watch and I thought, "Eh, I hope they don't both get on the ground. I think this is going to get dragged out a little bit too long. And then I remembered during their Intel, they specifically called out a specific type of plane. Three F-14s. And so naturally, we were going to get uh, Maverick and Rooster, Little Goose, in an F-14. So when Miles Teller got shot down and they found each other, um, at that point, I was like, all right, they already did it, so let's just go. Um, I did like the exchange that when he says, uh, you know, uh, I fucking sacrificed myself for you, just for you to come back. What were you thinking? And uh, Rooster says, you told me not to think. Yeah. So it comes back and bites him in the ass. <laughs> uh, and then the, uh, you know, just the history lesson that, uh, or not the history lesson, but there's just a quick overview of how to start this thing up that he gives Rooster. I thought was kind of cute. So they get up into the F-14, magically take off somehow. And now they're in the air. They have to fight two uh, new generation fighters. And I like what Maverick said. He says, just be cool. Cause if they knew who we really were, we'd already be dead. I love when they, too, they say, you know, the hand gestures, what's that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that. Yeah. Apparently the, uh, the okay, or the, you know, we're on the same team. Hand signals are different. Yeah. Apparently. I love the fucking barrel roll he does whilst firing his machine guns to take down the first one. That was such a cool way for him just to get rid of the first one because there was no way in hell he had a shot against two. I almost it was thought, fucking so smart. I when he sucker punch. It was a fighter jet sucker punch, and he fucking nailed it. I, I fucking love that. That was good. I almost got the impression that one of the planes took out the other plane because he kind of went behind it and it was trying to shoot him. No, uh, Maverick disables it or, or starts to disable it, does some fancy flying. And when the other jet fires a missile, Maverick pulls in front That's of the does. falling plane. And so, yeah, the other plane blows up his partner, yeah. essentially. Um, but now it's one-on-one, and this is where we get Rooster's fucking best line in the movie. Do some of that pilot shit, which is, I mean, a direct quote from Goose. Yep. So, yeah. What did you guys think of this whole thing? Well, here's an interesting fact. Uh, Flying the F-14 was rather difficult, and it turns out there are no F-14s that can fly. They have been decommissioned by the United States, and all of the engines have been taken out of them. And so they... um, the only F-14s that are still active, there's six of them, and they're in Iran. So... 
they didn't have access to those. And so what they ended up having to do is they ended up having to use CGI for the F-14 flying as well because they they couldn't get a working F-14. Interesting. So they're trying to make their way back, and then all of a sudden Rooster turns on his transponder, and everyone on the carrier is like, uh, it's Rooster, It's uh, his thing's on. And he goes, it's impossible. And they say, why? And he goes, because he's supersonic. (laughs) And then the look on uh, John Hamm's face, no. <laughs> Can't be. And right away he's like, Maverick. Yep. And I knew that, you know, it, it was kind of so, I guess, predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're running out of countermeasures, they're running out of bullets, they're running out of missiles. What do you think about the ejection seat wouldn't work? I was hoping it didn't work. Um, because I don't know. I I didn't want to go back on the ground with them, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I wanted to stay in the air. So I mean, you know, build tension make the ejection thing not work. And it makes sense. It's an old fucking plane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, did you get here our second Star Wars reference? Um, no. Do you remember when Luke finished his run of the trench, destroyed the Death Star and flying out, who was on his tail? Darth Vader. And who flew out of nowhere and saved him? On Solo. It's exactly what Hangman did. Hangman kind of comes out of the clouds, hits this last... You know, this last plane, this last enemy, and saves the day. He pulled a Han Solo in the end. Yeah, fucking A, he did. And it was fucking, that was at that moment in the theater. You're like, yeah! It was like one of those moments. So they save the day, and, you know, they land on the carrier. I love that uh, they didn't have a landing gear. Oh, and, and he does a he, he does a flyby the tower, and uh, Cyclone gives the a similar sort of look. You know, negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. Yep. Uh. So, yeah, he buzzes the tower, and he lands with no forward landing gear. <laughs> but he makes it. And I thought you brought up a good point when we actually saw the movie, was I kept thinking, how is he going to land it on this jet carrier without the front landing gear? And I don't remember if it was you, Ken, or you, Don, said... They're ready for everything. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. And and they and they train for that exactly you know, exact, that exact thing scenario. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, they everyone lands safely, everyone comes home safely. It's a successful mission. They bring up that uh what is the Mavericks now an ace pilot? Oh, that's right, because he has five kills uh, mm-hmm. because Hangman is bragging that he's got two. Yeah. <laughs> and then another callback. The rivals are now wingmen friends. Yeah. They absolutely. Hug. And then we uh, wrap it all up in a nice bow. Maverick and Rooster are, uh, they have reconciled and they're working on that plane together, which I thought was a nice moment. Yeah. So I I really dig how this movie closes. Uh, We get uh, Penny showing up, you know, leaning against the Porsche and they go up for a, a, a nice little flight at the end of the movie. Having the movie finish up, looking at Maverick's board, for Rooster to, uh, you know, take a look and see that, you know, it ends, you know, with the two of them up on the board together. Yeah. I I dug that ending. And that was a really pretty flight, you know, that they showed us with uh, Penny and Maverick in in the cockpit, you know, flying around. And then just like in the last one, you know, flying off into the sunset type of thing. Into the sunset. That's exactly right. And Maverick being Maverick. Well, Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, you know, he's always forever, you know, composing how he wants things to look. He knew exactly where to put that plane right back across the screen again, right? That, that's Tom Cruise, Mr. Perfection. Yeah. 
So here's another interesting thing that this movie with all those cameras, right? So Joseph Kaczynski, is that his name? Yeah. So he had to wait as soon as they land, get all the footage, take a quick look at it. And then, all right, I like, I like, I like, or I don't like. And then, you know, maybe they have to go back up again, get some more. But all that footage that they had, that they were constantly going through, they ended up accruing 800 hours of footage that was shot. And this is more than what is shot in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Speaking of Lord of the Rings. Oh, shit. And now it's time for John's. Moment. Because every movie connects up to Lord of the Rings, here is how Top Gun Maverick relates to the greatest movie series ever made. As with the previous movie, the Fellowship is definitely the Top Gun team. They all share the same mission, and they're all going for the same objective, same goals. Maverick, of course, returns as our Frodo. He again is on a path of change. The weight of the guilt that he carries has held him back. He also still carries the same ego that in the past has made him push things too far. Like Frodo's craving to put on the ring, Maverick can't give up his addiction to taking things one step further. I'm going to also say that Merry and Pippin are Phoenix and Bob. They are my picks for the two characters who helped our Frodo the most on his mission. Sam is always a hard choice. So many characters seem like the, in this movie seem like they could fit the Sam mold. In Lord of the Rings, Sam was, the, was an aide to Frodo as well as a friend. He helped Frodo move along his journey even when Frodo didn't ask for the help. And in the end, it was Sam at the cliff of Mount Doom who encouraged Frodo not to let go. It was that encouragement that helped Frodo push past the pain and reach out further than he thought he could. For that reason, I am picking Iceman as Maverick Sam. The movie told us it is Iceman who had constantly been there for Maverick throughout his career. When Maverick was in trouble, it was Iceman who constantly saved him. And it was Iceman's advice that it's time to let go, similar to what Sam said to Frodo, that helped Maverick keep going when he was at his lowest point and having troubles moving forward with the mission. So in, the, in terms of Top Gun Maverick, what was the precious? What was the One Ring? In this movie, the One Ring was a physical rep- representation of Maverick's guilt. So that would make Rooster represent the ring. It was the guilt over Goose's death and the promise that he made to his mother, you know, that had Maverick wanting to protect him and kept him weighted down, unable to move forward. It wasn't until he cast off that ring or basically cast off that guilt that allowed him to believe enough in Rooster that Rooster was ready and in doing so was able to complete the mission successfully. That is my comparison of Lord of the Rings and Top Gun Maverick. Did you say the precious was the guilt? I said that it was the physical representation of his guilt. So basically that would make Rooster the one ring. So when does uh, Frodo throw away the run? When does Maverick throw away Rooster? When, basically he throws away the guilt and converts Rooster into something else, no longer the ring, when he picks him to go on the mission. Mm, I, I like the Iceman bit. 
uh, we kind of talked about that the other night. You were saying, I know who's going to be Sam. And I was being such a dick. I'm like, oh, it's fucking Hondo. And I'm going through all the characters. Uh, but no, I, I did like the Iceman correlation to Sam. I thought that was good. Naturally, you know, cruises Frodo in, in the mission. I'm going to give it a C. What do you got there, Professor? Solid C. I'm going to get that B. Yeah. If, yeah. Uh, chances are you're going to get the D well, before you get the B. I figured I, I, I lost the grade when I said it was the greatest movie series ever made. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I even fucking wrote that down <laughs> with a big old fucking question mark. All right. Greatest movie series ever made. I'm going to give you 0.5 seconds to take that back if you want to. Uh, okay. You're too late. You are now stuck with. The Lord of the Rings trilogy as the greatest movie series ever made. Okay. So when we talk about Star Wars and we talk about the MCU, I don't ever want to hear from his voice. Greatest movie series ever made because he's already uh, proclaimed that with Top Gun. Yes. That's the kind of asshole I am. I proclaimed it with Lord of the Rings, not Top Gun. That's what I meant. (laughs) And that was John's. moment all right so what do you guys think you guys ready to rate this bitch i think we're ready to rate this bitch hey professor how do we do our ratings we do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold you are ready to watch this anytime anywhere yeah let's go go back in the theater and do it again right now a one fuck movie is a movie where we have said to ourselves you know i Wanted to see the movie. I chose to see the movie, and I don't ever want to see it again. It's it. It has no compelling features that I am interested in ever watching again. And what is a zero? A zero fuck movie. Ooh, crash and burn. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. All right, professor, take it away, buddy. So, Top Gun Maverick. I have to say that when I heard this movie being made, I was very interested in seeing it again. Tom Cruise having the original Top Gun. And how could this be any any worse? It's not going to be worse. It's going to be at least as good as Top Gun. And with him and his work ethic that he is bringing to all of his movies, always wanting to give more, always wanting to have it better, always wanting the audience to be excited and enjoying what's happening on the screen. This is going to be a good ride. And it did not disappoint at all. The aerial photography is beautiful, and I I just love so much how we have these uh, aerial sequences that we get to watch these these different scenes that we get to uh, see like this. You know, it, it's it's a movie that is a regular movie goer that you know you can enjoy this this well oiled non fantastical adult oriented. Hollywood blockbuster experience. I think that it is so rich in giving us, you know, just a really good Hollywood movie that doesn't have, you know, superheroes or or fantastical things that happen to it. And I really appreciate that. The other aspect was the the drama side of this story. The drama side of this story, I think, is a really uh, rich experience over the first one for sure. You know, we have... Uh, maverick experiencing you know his he's questioning his mortality and and he's going through this journey of reconciliation and he's looking to you know new horizons what is going to be happening for his future 
And for a brief moment, I thought that he wasn't going to make it out of the movie alive. Having him uh, come back alive and having it end the way that it did was very, very satisfying. I really enjoyed the supporting cast. The Top Gun pilots that are there, just so, so rich. I really enjoyed their characters a lot. And the supporting cast, that it, it, they just played so well. And it was such a rich experience to have Iceman back in the movie. I, I think that this is a fantastic summer movie. I'm giving, this, um, I'm giving Top Gun Maverick 4.5 fucks. 4.5 fucks from the professor. Um, oh, you want to go next? Would you like me to go next and save yours for last? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Okay. First off, I want to say that the flight cinematography in this film was amazing. I felt like it was a thousand times better than the first movie. I really appreciated that they put the actors in the planes for longer scenes and it gave the movie more realism. And I really appreciated that. They delivered on what I feel like folks go to see a Top Gun movie for. Fast action jet fighter dogfights. It was just absolutely fantastic. When it came to the story and all the grounded scenes, I felt like it was a little slow in parts. And some of it was a little hard to believe. It was a little coincidental. And I guess I personally just don't get the box office smash appeal for Tom Cruise. Since Cruz first played Maverick in the first Top Gun, I feel like he found a character style and has stuck to it. In my opinion, Tom plays the same exact cocky character and same kind of attitude in a lot of the movies that have come out since. The only three exceptions that I feel like where he kind of gets out of that typecast character, that cocky character, was probably... Tropic Thunder, Rock of Ages, and Interview with a Vampire. In those roles, maybe it was because he was in different costumes or didn't have that same Tom Cruise haircut, same Tom Cruise cocky attitude um, that he, I felt like he got out of that kind of box that he had put himself into. Also, the story seemed to really play off a lot of movie convenience. It just so happens that the mission that he's recruited for allows him to settle things with Rooster, reconnect with a lost love, overcome his failure from his previous attempt as a teacher at Top Gun, and be the star player in one more big mission. So that was a little bit hard for me to believe and took me a little bit out of the movie that all of these things would happen at the same time. Is this movie rewatchable? I do think this movie was a good movie, and I, I did enjoy a lot of the Jet scenes. But for me, I think I will wait until it's streaming that I'll actually watch it again. And I don't think that I'm overly excited to see it again. You know, if I don't have anything else to watch, I'll probably watch it. But I am glad I saw it, though. I'm glad I saw it at least once. Would I recommend this to anybody? Absolutely. If you loved the first movie and you love military action movies, this is a movie for you to go out and see some of the best realism that I have seen in a movie to date. So because of all of that, for all those reasons, I'm giving Top Gun Maverick 3.75 fucks. 3.75 fucks from the comic book guy. My turn. Top Gun Maverick. Going into this film, I was totally expecting uh, what we've come accustomed to 
what we call legacy sequels. And I was pleasantly surprised. However, I did go into the movie with a checklist. Uh, opens with text. Check. Opens on an aircraft carrier. Checks. Someone getting mad at Maverick and then sending him to Top Gun. Check. Motorcycle on long stretches of roads. One even racing a fighter plane. Check. Bar scene with a song. Check. Students all shocked when they find out who the instructor is. Check. The hops. Uh, the teachers versus the students. Check. Death of a major character. Check. A situation abroad with a nameless villain. Check. And to round it all out, a fantastic sports scene. Check. What I didn't like about the original Top Gun was most of the scenes in between the flying. Uh, here with Maverick, I enjoyed the scenes much more uh, than the first one. I like the characters. I like the story. I like the stakes. I like where we were at. And I'm going to go ahead and say it uh, out loud. I liked Tom Cruise. Maverick was his breakout role, and so he went back to it. And I got to tell you, he picked it up without missing a beat. The supporting cast was cast very well. For the soundtrack, we had Harold Faltemeyer back. Now you have Lady Gaga. And you had fucking Hans Zimmer. You know, I didn't even know that until we saw it and I saw Hans Zimmer's name. And I'm like, fuck yeah. You know, outside of Johnny Williams, uh, Hans Zimmer's kind of up there for me. So I, I like the soundtrack in this one. Uh, did I like it as much as the original? No, not really. But, you know, different times, different movies. But the same movie. So going in and getting kind of what I expected and yet being pleasantly surprised on top of that, you know, I'm going to give Top Gun Maverick 4.25 fucks. So uh, would you put this in the question that I posed with Top Gun? Top three Tom Cruise movies. Would you put Top Gun Maverick in, as one of the top three? Uh, yeah, I think it has to replace Top Gun. I would definitely put Top Gun Maverick in the top three. I don't think Top Gun was in my top three, but I definitely would put this higher. That's why I rated it higher than I did Top Gun. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. Be sure to check out our website and social media platforms to find out which movie we are going to be reviewing next. And speaking of which, uh, hey, John, where can they find us? If you want easy access to our other podcasts, show notes, movie trivia, or anything else we feel like posting, check out our website at threeguysinaflick.com. You can also find us on all the different social media sites as well as podcast hosting. We just want to throw out a special shout out to a new listener, John G. Uh, he just started listening to us and hit us up and said he was digging the show. Uh, so thanks for listening, buddy. We appreciate it. And please let us know if there is a movie that you want us to review and we will get it done. He's got lots of Halloween ideas. So I think we'll have some interesting ones to put in the helmet. All right. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, I just also want to thank, as always, Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And thanks to everyone else who listens to us. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to us on Apple Music, be sure to go and give us a five-star rating. It will help the podcast. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for flying with us. So Glenn Powell, he threw up a lot. 
And on one tough day, doing during when they're doing the canyon run over and over, he wants to, he really wants to puke, but he wants to be discreet about it. So he says, "Hey, Fisty, why don't we just settle out? You know, I want to check out the view." And he's like, "You good back there, man?" "No, man, I, I'm good. I'll be ready to rock and roll. You know, give me a, a second. And immediately. He starts violently puking into the bag. But the problem is that the microphone is also the mask. So he's ripped the mask off and Fisty doesn't hear the last part of what Glenn said. So while he's busily puking, he hears in the comms in his helmet, Well, buddy, if you're ready to rock and roll, let's rock and roll. And he immediately inverts the plane and pulls down hard. And now Glenn is puking up onto the canopy above his head. And so now he's looking at the ground and here comes the puke right back into his face. Sound okay? I wasn't listening. Do you guys want to make any productions? Do you want to do anything like that? You're the awards guy. Mm. No? Indifferent. You understand that's not helpful at all. <laughs> I don't, why would I want to say it? Get your tongue out of my asshole, Gary. <clears throat> Now I'm not going to let you say it. I'm not, I don't Just, want to anymore. It's good. good. That's what you fucking get. I don't want to. Yo, you do this every fucking time. Uh, <laughs> um. Does he make your nipples hard? Who, mine? <laughs> You're excited. <laughs> Fill these nipples. <laughs> it's just one of a fun little scene. Yeah, it would have been super fucking fun. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Do you get why the don't think line is a callback to the first movie? It's because that's what he said in his briefing to Charlie. You don't exactly. have time to think up there. You think exactly. you're dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole thing's a callback. It's, it's same movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I was hoping so. by this point in the movie, they would have brought Chappie back. Wrong movie, but nice try. Um, and if any of you listeners out there know which movie that John just referenced, let us know in the comments. And receive a high five. Okay, Professor, you were clear for takeoff. All right, Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Would you shut it? Fucking gold, right? I'm the man. <sighs> he, he's really proud of himself on that one. Yeah, he is. Oh, my God, it's a fucking over 40 joke for sure. Fuck, I'm old. Uh, you kind of outed yourself. You said in your review that this movie gave us another fantastic sports scene does that secretly mean you liked the volleyball scene in the first movie that i did not see coming so uh fuck off good night